We do take time to lift up all of the concerns and the good things that are happening in our church. And we also take time to open the scriptures. And if you have your Bibles with you or have a Bible app, I invite you. Our text this morning is actually very short. It's only Daniel 4, verse 27, one verse, where Daniel has approached King Nebuchadnezzar and he says these words to him, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and by showing mercy to the oppressed. I was thinking about this text and the theme for today's message, which is live for now. Because we have this tendency to live for tomorrow and live for all these other times. And it's so important to live for now. Back when our first child was born, Regina and I got in the car and I picked her up from the, the hospital. She was at Lowell General Hospital in, in Lowell, Massachusetts. And we had a ride home and we had a CD that was, I guess it was back then, it wasn't a CD, it would have been a cassette that was playing in our car. And the song of the, the words to the song that was playing that day were these, and it's always stuck with me. We have this moment to hold in our hands and to touch as it slips through our fingers like sand. Yesterday is gone and tomorrow may never come, but we have this moment today. It struck me as I was listening to those words and riding with a new baby in the car that we had plans and hopes and expectations for the future and things that we hope to be able to do. And we certainly had things in our life that had happened in the past, but nothing was going to be as important as how we live that day. And every single day since, that's always been the same thing. As I look back on my life, I certainly can look back and see things that I wish I would have done differently or things that I feel good about. But I still go back to the words of that song that we have this moment right now to hold in our hands and to touch. And I like that image as it slips through our fingers like sand. That's what life is. Life is the tangible things that are right in front of us today. When do you live for? Do you live for yesterday? Some people do. Some people get all caught up in the past. Maybe it's a mistake. Maybe it's something they feel bad about in the past. Maybe it's something they wish they could change in the past. Or do you live for the future? Some people spend so much of their time thinking about the future and planning for the future and hoping for the future. And the problem is when we do that, we miss what's right in front of us today. Because we have today. We, it's a great day. It's an awesome day. And I understand we're in a pandemic. I understand that we've been in political strife and there's all sorts of stuff. There's no question about that. But we have an awesome opportunity to breathe in the air today, to love and to live by faith and to worship God and to care for our family and do the right things. When I think of living in the past, uh, the old movie Hoosiers comes to mind. I don't know if you've seen it. It happened to be one of my favorite movies. I watch it from time to time. And there's a teacher, Mrs. Fleener. And one time she's talking to the coach and she said, you know, I came to this town to help young people live their best lives. And I've discovered in this little town, it takes place in a little town in Indiana. She said, far too many people are living in the past. All they want to talk about is their high school sports. She said, I see these guys who are 
50, 60, 70 years old. They're missing life in front of them right now, constantly thinking about the past, and I'm here to help these young people understand the importance of getting a good education and doing the right things today. When I think about someone living in the future, I think also of a sports illustration that when our son Todd was in high school, he was in a running program up in Boston with a coach named Fred Tressler. And I stood there one day as a parent came up and said, Fred, what does my son need to do so that he gets a good scholarship for college? He's a good runner, and I'm hoping that maybe he can get his complete college paid for with running. And Fred smiled and said, well, there's not very many running scholarships like that out there. But I encourage young people to run for the enjoyment of the sport, to live for today. Not to be a high school athlete in hopes that maybe someday I might do something great in high school and college or I might get a scholarship, but enjoy the sport today. If you're in a sport, enjoy what you're doing. You see, when we get caught up in the past or we get focused on the future, we miss what's right in front of us. And that's exactly what our text is about as Daniel comes to King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar obviously had had an amazing past in some ways because he had this magnificent palace. In fact, they tell me that if you go to the Middle East, the largest excavation we have is an excavation of that where King Nebuchadnezzar's palace was, 2,000 acres, huge, huge area. I think it was Saddam Hussein who went back and he wanted to recreate Nebuchadnezzar's castle or his, his palace where he lived. Nebuchadnezzar was also focused on the future. He, he's aware in our text as he's had this dream and this vision about how there can be prosperity, but something awful is going to take place. And if you read the entire chapter, Nebuchadnezzar is going to, and at this point has an opportunity to avoid a calamity that's going to happen in his life, where for seven years, if things don't change, he's going to literally lose his mind until finally he'll be able to come back and be the king of Babylon, and he's like, well, I'll get around to that sometime in the future. And Daniel is saying to him, no, you need to live for today. You need to make changes in your life today. On the outside, others who saw Nebuchadnezzar could see what was wrong and what needed to change in his life. He was greedy. He was self-centered. He lived with injustice. He had obviously conquered Palestine and taken people captive. He wasn't treating people well. It wasn't until the Persians eventually come in and defeat the Babylonians that the people of Israel get to go back to their homeland. Nebuchadnezzar could have changed all that at any moment with an edict. At that time, he could have made the changes that Daniel asked him to make, and he could have been seen as one of the great, great leaders in world history. Instead, he thought, no, maybe he would get around to changing something sometime in the future. And so Daniel warned the king, you've got things you need to do in your life today. As he said those verse that we read at the beginning, hear, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Listen to what he tells him to do today. Break off your sins. Practice righteousness and show mercy to the oppressed. Those aren't tomorrow things. Those are today things. Those are things of how to live our life now, how to realize that today there are opportunities before each one of us to live the right way and to have the right attitude. Let's not make the mistake of King Nebuchadnezzar, who didn't change. 
Let's be Christians who learn to live for now. Now Christians. And you say, well, how do I do that? How, how do I not make the mistake of, I'm not, certainly not going to be Nebuchadnezzar, and I'm not going to have an amazing palace that I look back on and say, wow, I love that palace. I need to do everything to protect it. And I'm not someone who's probably, hopefully, not going to lose my mind and go insane for seven years where I literally get cast off from my people the way that we read about Nebuchadnezzar in, in chapter 4 of Daniel. But how do I today live my life now as a Christian? Well, it's the exact same things that Daniel approaches Nebuchadnezzar with. It starts with, never deny my part. Do you know how many Christians are in conflict with someone else all because they deny their own part? We can always see what somebody else does wrong, but we need to see what we do wrong. We need to see our part in every situation. Now, that does not mean you can't have situations where others have done more than you have done. still doesn't matter. We call it keeping our side of the street clean. I have to look at my side and what I've done and my actions and my attitudes and my words. Daniel said, break off your sins. That's a story of repentance. That's a story of what we heard in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins. Forgive us first so we can forgive others the same way that God forgives us. Yes, far too many Christians seem to be like Nebuchadnezzar, and we don't see our part. And that's why we like to say denial is not a river in Egypt. Denial is a sad way to live our life. When we can't admit that we've done wrong and we've offended another person and we can't accept our own need for repentance and we constantly are the person who can tell everybody else everything that they've done wrong and everybody else everything that they need to change. And we go to a church and we tell the church everything they need to change. And so we go to another church and we tell that church everything that they need to change. And we go to, to our family and we tell them everything that they need to change. And pretty soon we start looking at ourselves and we say, why is it that everybody around me isn't doing the right thing? And we never look at what my mother always said, that when we're pointing our fingers at someone else, we forget that three fingers are pointing back. And that's the most important part to understand. If I want to live as a person of faith now and live the life that God wants me to live now today, I need to never deny my part. It was early in my ministry when I was at not a virtual coffee hour or a fellowship time like we're going to have next Sunday, which I hope you join us. We're going to have a nice time as we, hopefully we get so many people, we get to put people in different rooms. It would be awesome. And we just get to see each other virtually. Well, this was a time when we were meeting in person in one of my congregations. And I was standing in the fellowship hall. It was a rather echoey fellowship hall. So sometimes I didn't hear what people said, but I heard very well what the woman said to me that day. I have no idea what we were talking about. And she looked at me and she said, oh, Pastor Stan, you're never wrong. And I said, oh, no, I'm wrong quite often. And she looked at me and said, well, you never think you're wrong. Denying my part. I learned that day to never deny my part. It doesn't mean that I have been perfect in doing that. But I realized that day how easy it is to find fault in others and put the blame on someone else and not like what's happening and, and see why someone else caused it rather than looking at our own side and saying, what do I need to change? What, what, what's God teaching me? What, what do I need to do so I don't get into this situation again? I guess I would call it, uh, that's the day that I learned to say I'm sorry and to mean it. 
to genuinely be able to say, I'm sorry. A lot of times people will talk to me about this when they're struggling with a relationship or a situation in their life, and I call it the one-down position. We need to learn to take the one-down position. It doesn't mean that we don't see what others have done wrong, and it doesn't mean that we maybe have to distance ourselves from someone if they're doing something hurtful or harmful or, or unjust and, and something that's literally... To, you know, for the purpose of tearing us down. It's not about getting back into those kind of relationships at all, but it's learning to take that one down position to at least where we can say, hey, this is what I've done, where, where we're able to take our own personal inventory and see our part of the problem. Nebuchadnezzar couldn't do it. That's what the story of Nebuchadnezzar is. You could see what everybody else did wrong. He could see the power that he had. He was thankful for the things that he had acquired. He felt good about the huge palace that he had. He saw an amazing future, even though it didn't go that way for him. But he couldn't live his life now because he was constantly denying his part. And we need to learn to never deny my part. Once we do that, that's called repentance. That's stopping and turning and, and saying, I need to live a different way. The next thing is we need to be open to growth. If it's going to be now, it's got to be something that happens today. And growth isn't something for the future in our life. Growth isn't something that we say, well, you know, I'm going to continue in this sin or this bad behavior or this wrong attitude in my life. I'm going to continue to be unrepentant in this area. I'm going to continue to blame everybody else and I'll grow sometime in the future. No, growth is about today. It's about becoming a better person today. It's about God changing me today. So I start being more patient, more loving, more kind, more understanding, more gracious, more Christ-centered. That's why Daniel said next to the king, once he said, break off your sins, never deny your part, O king. The next thing he says is practice righteousness. That's a today thing. Today, practice righteousness. Righteousness, the idea of being just and being fair and doing the godly thing. We got away from it, but it's that old question of what would Jesus do? How would Jesus handle this situation? We often use the silly illustration of driving down the road and getting mad at someone. Is that how Jesus would do it? Is that how he would act if somebody else cut him off in traffic? How do I practice righteousness today? But it's deeper than that. It's how we work at school and how we work with our family, how we conduct our financial businesses, every part of our life. But the thing is... What Daniel says to him, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version, which is a fairly literal translation, listen to the words, by practicing righteousness. We always hear the second part, the righteousness. Did you hear the first part, practicing? Practice means I'm not perfect. If I'm going to practice something, that means I haven't arrived yet. Otherwise, I guess I wouldn't need to practice. I'd just do it. But we practice when we have something that we need to get better at. And practice is a process in which we keep trying. I was a kid, and I was visiting my uncle in Nova Scotia. My uncle was a piano tuner and a piano rebuilder. And I wasn't very old. I was probably, I don't know, six or seven years old. And he had a particular thing he needed to do on this, this piano action, the big thing where the hammers and everything. And I remember it sitting there, and he turned to us, and it was his two sons, who were my cousins, who were close to my age, one older one, younger than me, and myself. And he told us what he wanted us to do. Now, they knew how to do it, 
And so he showed me how to do it, and I started to try to take these little wires off the way he wanted us to take them off, and I was having a really hard time doing it. And my aunt walked in the room, and she said, what are you doing, Stanley? And it was sort of a, kind of like, you don't even seem to know what you're doing. And my uncle said, be patient with him. He's still practicing. You see, my cousins knew how to do the task because he'd shown them before, and they'd done it a lot of times, and they did it well, but I didn't. I had no idea. It was the first time I did it. Well, a lot of life is like that. Be patient with yourself as you're practicing righteousness. Just keep practicing it. Just keep doing it. Just keep trying. But I'm not a forgiving person. Well, then practice being forgiving. But I'm not a patient person. Then practice being patient. But I'm not a very caring person. Well, then, practice being more caring towards others. To live for now means we're willing to practice doing the right things. And we won't always do the right thing. We're not going to get it 100%. The Bible wouldn't tell us to practice our righteousness if we were perfect in our righteousness. But the very fact that we need to learn to practice shows the fact that we have not attained John Wesley, founder of the whole Methodist movement, wrote Thoughts on Christian Perfection. Hear that? Thoughts on being perfect. Now, a lot of people criticize Methodism, saying, how can you guys talk about perfection? Well, we don't really talk about perfection. We talk about going on to perfection. We say it's a goal. Have you ever attained it? No. Have you ever seen anybody who attained it? Oh, I'd hate to see somebody who attained Christian perfection. They'd be an obnoxious person to be around. What fun would it be around to be around somebody who is perfect all the time? No, we're all practicing. We're all doing better. We're all working at it. We're all getting it wrong, and we're trying again. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar wasn't willing to try, to try to try hard to be more just to these people, to, to take a chance and practice your righteousness. Send the, send the children of Israel back to their homeland. That was a scary thought. What do you mean? I've taken them as slaves. I'm not going to do that. No, try practicing it. Try to do something different. That's why Wesley, when he talked about Christian perfection, he said, we seek it with all diligence. We don't attain it. We seek it. That's why we are Christians. Because God forgives us, and God graciously gives us a new slate and a new opportunity, and now we practice to try to work with the Holy Spirit, to do that work with the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul talked about it in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, if we could have that verse up here. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in our flesh. We don't think that we're perfect on the outside. We don't think that this body that we have gets it right 100% all the time. We put no confidence in that. We don't walk around and say that we're better than someone else. Paul goes on and he says, forgetting what is past, we strive forward. We do our best. We keep practicing. We keep trying. Having not put confidence in our flesh and thinking that somehow I've got it all figured out and, and I'm better than someone else, we do the opposite. We don't deny our part, we accept our part, and then we become open to growth as we practice living a new way. And that's really what the Christian faith is. Please be patient. Please be patient with us. 
But let's be patient with ourselves as we practice. You wouldn't, you wouldn't take a kid. I remember when I was in Indiana, and it was a Saturday morning, and I'd never seen such a thing because I didn't realize what nuts they are in, in Indiana about basketball. Man, they take basketball so seriously. There was a Saturday morning, and I went over to the gymnasium at our school, and I'd never seen anything like this. It was 8 o'clock in the morning, and there must have been a 20, 25 little 5- and 6-year-olds dribbling basketballs around the court. I said, what is this? And they said, oh, those are kids in the neighborhood that we have a little thing where we train the kids, teach the kids how to dribble and learn basketball skills. I said, why do you do that? And they said, oh, basketball's serious here in, in Indiana. We want those kids practicing from as early as they can to learn to be good basketball players. That produced Larry Bird. Produced a lot of other great basketball players, too. But they don't go into the little kids and yell at them and say, hey, you don't know how to dribble the basketball. They get them to practice. Folks, that's how we need to learn to live our Christian life. To be more patient with ourselves, to be patient with others, but especially at this point, we're talking with ourselves. As we realize we fail, we make mistakes, we do wrong, we don't get it right, we don't deny our part, we accept our part, we allow God's grace and forgiveness to happen so we don't live the way Nebuchadnezzar lived in denial and in thinking that somehow we're more arrogant and we're better than others, but we get that God wants us to continually change. And then we start to witness through our actions. You can tell somebody all you want about your Christian faith, you can talk, you and I can talk to a blue in our faith, but if we aren't putting it into practice, others have nothing that they see that's going to, be going to be attractive to them. And I can just see Daniel standing before the king, saying, you have an opportunity. You, O oh king, don't have to have calamity in your life. You don't have to go through seven years of just debauchery and having your life completely fall apart, if you just would look at your own part, if you'd just be open to growing, and now if you would just witness through your actions, as he says, show mercy to the oppressed. Just do the right thing. Do you know, O king, what a huge difference it would make in all of Babylon if you, O king Nebuchadnezzar, would just witness to living the right way so others saw it. Unfortunately, Nebuchadnezzar was witnessing. He was witnessing to the wrong things in how he lived. He was witnessing to oppressing people. He was a witnessing to being greedy and taking for himself. He was witnessing to being arrogant and thinking he was better than anybody else. He was witnessing to the fact that he didn't want to change and he didn't want to care about other people. And at the moment's whim... He felt it was okay to take someone else's life. But he was witnessing. What Daniel asked him to do is what we're asked to do. If we want to live our life now, we need to witness through our actions to who God is and how God has changed our lives. You can't live that way, O King, Daniel said. Your actions speak volumes. And that's the same with each one of us. Our actions speak volumes. Do you want to know how the people of Faith Community Church believe? Look at how we live. Look at how we live. Look at where our priorities are. Now, I don't believe that we get it perfect. We see our part. We are never going to deny it. We are always open to growth, but we seek to witness through our actions. Right now, we're in conversation about doing some work at a local homeless shelter to bless somebody in the community, to just say, how can we make a difference for the community? We work in places where 
we find people who are struggling and having a tough time, and we say, how can we just be there to help? Because that's what we're supposed to do. Because nobody cares what we say we believe. They care how we act. Remember the collection we're taking up for the homeless? I guess we'll see how we believe and what we are, because we will witness through our actions. This last year, when we said we wanted to raise $4,000 to provide Chromebooks for kids in, in Plymouth, we raised $11,000. I guess at that point, we witnessed through our actions what we really believed and what matters. That's what I invite you to do in your daily life, to learn to practice the things that God wants you to be and how he wants you to live, and then to learn to witness to your neighbors and your friends and your family through your actions. I don't know if any of you remember the radio host, David Brednoy, but I used to listen to him. David Brednoy was not somebody who was a person of faith, but I remember one, there's a few conversations I remember he had, but one in particular, I remember somebody calling in and criticizing a particular church. It was a denomination, I still remember the denomination they criticized, and David Brednoy said, stop right there. My neighbor goes to that denomination, and I watch my neighbor's life. And my neighbor does stuff to serve the poor, the needy, and the homeless in our community more than anybody else I know. Now, I'm not going to judge their belief system because I don't know anything about it, but I see the way my friend lives, and I know his faith is authentic. Let's live our life now. Let's never deny our part Let's be open to change and to practice the, the things that God wants us to do as the Holy Spirit works in our hearts. And let's not witness only with our words. It's important in what we say, but let's witness with our actions. Let's put our faith into solid action so that when people ask us, what do you believe, we can be like James. Look at my actions. Look at how I live my life, and that'll tell you what I believe. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your goodness. We thank you that Nebuchadnezzar, a man who was just so arrogant and self-centered, had an opportunity to change. And Daniel said to him, all you need to do is just acknowledge your part and be open to what God wants to do in your life and live a different way and witness to being just and caring. And God will bless you today and into the future. And the same is true for us. And help us to hear that, God. Help us to realize what holds us back from living the life that you want us to live is we ourselves. Because if I go from this service and think of all the things that everybody else does wrong, I've missed the scripture and I've missed your word. But if I can hear what Daniel was saying to Nebuchadnezzar and hear it for myself, Heavenly Father, I know that I can change. And now I invite you to pray this prayer after me. If this is a desire of your heart, it's a prayer to be open to God's work in your life. Please repeat these words out loud or silently. Heavenly Father, forgive me for the things I've done wrong. Help me see my part in the problems I have in my life. Help me be open to the way you want me to live today. And loving God, help me know my actions. Witness to who I am.
Help my actions be a witness for you. Amen. <laughs>